Welcome to Shine Online with Ellie Swift. I'm your host, marketing and mindset coach, Ellie Swift, here to help you connect with your clients, create life-changing results in your online business, and shine neon bright online. I built a multi-six-figure business in under two years and, more importantly, have supported my clients to get amazing results. My clients have generated five- and six-figure launches, tripled their income, and completely transformed their lives using my signature framework, the Swift Marketing Method. In this podcast, I take you a layer deeper into my business, my life, and my mind. If you're an ambitious entrepreneur, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, hi. Welcome to another episode of Shine Online with Ellie Swift. I've got an incredible guest for you today. I'm so excited to introduce you to Catherine Morgan. So I met Catherine last year when I was a guest on her incredible podcast, In Her Financial Shoes. And something that I really love about Catherine is the way, the really, really practical way that she talks about money in business. So I'll give you her official bio now, and then we'll jump straight into this incredible episode because what I love most about this is that she gives you so many of those practical tips inside this episode. So if you're listening to this one in your car, you might want to listen in again uh, and take a bunch of notes because it's really, really useful um, and really, really practical. So Catherine's a multi-award-winning qualified financial planner and award-winning certified financial coach on a mission to reduce financial anxiety and increase financial empowerment and resilience for 1 million women around the world. Featured as one of the top 32 female entrepreneurs to look out for in Business Leader, she's host of the top 1% global podcast in her financial shoes and founder of The Money Panel. She's also the recent winner of the Financial Wellbeing Champion of the Year and Marketing Influencer of the Year 2022. She's been featured in a bunch of incredible publications, including Forbes, The Telegraph, The Times, The Daily Mail, and The Huffington Post, and is the author of the number one Amazon bestseller book, It's Not About the Money, which you will hear more about in this episode. I can't wait to introduce you to her and for you to learn from Catherine. Enjoy this episode. I hope you love it so much. There's so much that I really want to cover with you today. And I think that for the topics that we're going to speak to, the best thing that we could do is start at the start with this conversation around money trauma. So can you share what is money trauma? How does it show up specifically for women entrepreneurs and what can we do about it? So yeah, it's such a great question. Like so many people haven't come across the term money trauma. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was always really curious to why as a financial advisor, when I was 18, I was a financial advisor for like 20 years of my career. And I was always really curious to why do I have all this knowledge about how to manage money, but wasn't following it for myself. Like I was stuck in huge 
debt shame cycles in my 20s where I literally used to use money as a tool to try and fill this need or this desire for me to feel better about my Mm self-worth. And it wasn't really until I discovered that there was a huge link between the way I was treating money and the way I was treating myself that I came across this kind of concept of money trauma. For me, what's really interesting about money trauma is that When people think of trauma, they think of the big stuff like abuse, relationship breakdowns, like narcissism, grieving, of the loss of a loved one. They think of all the big extremities. And actually trauma is just an event that completely exceeds our capacity to cope. And so instead it causes this kind of disruption in the way that we function emotionally. And these events that even sometimes aren't life-threatening, they can be ego-threatening and they cause us to feel helpless in our circumstances. The trauma of money memories that our energy and our brain keeps hold of are actually very connected to the emotions around money. So things like fear, guilt, shame, regrets, like responsibility, anger perhaps, And so what happens is we learn to live in the here and now without that shame or blame or guilt around money. And it helps us to stay connected. So we end up kind of self-sabotaging where we overspend or we undercharge or we overwork because we feel like that pattern is going to keep us safe. When I think about money traumas, I always think about What has happened around our relationship with money specifically that has created this kind of disruption to our nervous system where our brain is basically telling us that we have to feel safe and in order to feel safe, we need to people please. And so we say yes to too many things. We avoid financial conflict in relationships. We overgive to the detriment of our own needs or we overgive our time and undervalue and undercharge in our businesses. So that's the impact that trauma can have is that it creates this disruption. And then the brain will just look for all this evidence to like support you to feel safe and continue to do all the things that are maybe self-sabotaging your ability to be able to have money, keep hold of it, and then grow it for your financial future. So how do we identify what those money traumas are? Because I'm sure that they are as unique to each person as our fingerprints in some ways. So what do we do there? How do we work that out? When it comes to trauma work, we have to be a little bit careful of the significant traumas. And like I always think that every person on the planet should have access to a therapist in some way because some of those traumas can be big Mm. and it's really important to recognize that if we are dealing with big traumas that we do need to have that support available to us Um, because sometimes we try and do that work ourselves it can feel too hard and therefore we just don't want to go there so it's really important to be supported if you do have big traumas but when it comes to the smaller traumas so maybe perhaps like a teacher has said to you growing up at school, like, put your hand down, like, let somebody else talk. Mm. Or maybe you observed a parent, like, not opening their bank statements, or you observed a parent saving their pounds 
and like tucking it away somewhere in the back of the wardrobe, or maybe money was never talked about in your house growing up. These are actually traumas, they're messages, they're stories, they're beliefs that are then passed down through the generations. Mm. And what happens is that those beliefs, when they're passed down, or what we call borrowed beliefs, they come with strings attached. They come with these shoulding statements. So when you hear yourself say things like, I should be good with money. I should be making more money. I should be investing 15% of my income into a pension. I should be able to pay off my debts. I am bad with money. Like these I am statements that gives us a really good sense of what is the trauma that may be sitting behind that or what is the belief that's sitting past that message where we're actually attaching our sense of self, who we are, with money. The way I always coach ladies around this is to think about what are these I am statements that we're using with ourselves. That kind of opens up this window of, oh, okay, so I'm telling myself I have to work hard to make money. Where did I first hear that belief? When did I first decide this for myself, that I have to work hard to make money? Mm-hmm. And for most of us, it is a, a message that is thrown out to us through consumerism all of the time, every day. You know, you only have to switch on social media to see people talking about the hustle, you know, or having to you know, just work more in your business. And it creates this cognitive dissonance. It creates this contradictory belief where a lot of us don't want to work harder. We don't want to work longer hours. But then we have this kind of cognitive dissonance that kind of sits in the background that's like, oh, but you have to work hard to make money. You know, maybe you saw parents working hard, you know, trying to have two or three jobs maybe just to bring enough money into the household. And so it creates this belief that we actually believe is true. Um, And that's what the brain does. Every belief, every message that we hear growing up, particularly in that imprinting period where the brain is actually still developing, that age between zero and six, where the brain actually hasn't developed its full cognitive capacity, it takes everything as truth. Like it doesn't know how to differentiate between what's true and what's not true. So everything that it sees or observes, it just like saps up like a giant sponge and it takes everything as truth. But actually what's interesting is, is it really true? Like, is it really true that you have to work hard to make money? Is it really true that rich people are greedy? Is it really true that if I have the wealth, it means that somebody else can't? Is it true that I have debts, therefore I am a bad person? Is it true that women can't invest and men have to take care of that side? You know, it's challenging those beliefs to understand how is it actually preventing you from having the life that you desire and that you deserve? Hell yes to that. I always think about it as well as what is coming up in my body when I think about money? What's coming up in my body when I'm paying for things, what's coming up for me in my body when, you know, I'm investing in something because those butterflies or those feelings of guilt or shame, they can be such clear indicators of exactly what you're talking about here, these these deeper traumas. And so I think asking questions about the signals that we're receiving when we are 
having money conversations or in the presence of making an investment or feeling certain icky quote unquote feelings about money, they can offer such great clues. And so essentially I I think, you know, the crux of what you're sharing here is being really conscious and cognizant of how am I feeling? What are those I am statements that I'm making? How am I showing up? when it comes to money, because that's going to really help you uncover and dive deeper into what some of those smaller traumas might be. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you shared about like the physical reaction, because as well as us borrowing beliefs from parents, grandparents, main caregivers that we've grown up around, is that we also borrow the emotions. An example might be, for example, so I grew up, my mum and dad actually divorced when I was very little. So quite a big trauma actually for a child to experience to go through their parents separating and I had two extremities of wealth so my dad was a entrepreneur you know had wealth and my mum didn't my mum kind of just got by and it was really interesting for me with my relationship with money growing up about what did I learn from my mum and what did I learn from my dad's And my dad, I remember he used to come home from work and he would put all of his pound coins into this like ceramic flower pots in his bedroom. I remember literally he would like literally take his coins out of his jeans, put it onto the bed and he'd put all the pound coins into this jar and he would tuck this jar into the back of his wardrobe for obvious reasons that, you know, if the house was to be burgled, that they wouldn't find the money. But when I look back at that, that memory, I think, what did I learn about money? from that experience, that money has to be kept secret. My mum never spoke about money. My mum was very reliant on my dad's providing her maintenance. And so the belief there for me was that it it wasn't possible for women to have wealth. Women just got by, like they, they, they just had enough. And this enoughness creates an emotional response, an emotional response of fear, fear of running out of money. And what was interesting for me is that when I grew up around money in my teenage years, I had this fear that was so emotional that money was going to run out, that when I earned money for myself with my first pocket money job, I would get rid of money as quickly as possible. Mm. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem logical. Like surely you'd go the other way and like save your money because you're fearful it's going to run out. But for me, I was so fearful that money was going to run out that I had to get rid of it as quickly as possible because I wanted to get rid of the fear. You're controlling it. it. Absolutely. The control thing was huge for me. And because I felt out of control with my spending habits, it then continued to fuel this constant cycle of being in debt. And then all this shame that sat around not wanting to actually face up to the reality that I was in debt every month. I was earning really good money. I was working as a financial advisor. So you can imagine the shame that sat around that belief about money. And something I talk about in my book is called this concept of borrowed emotions, borrowed beliefs and borrowed emotions. So by virtue of carrying other people's emotions, we actually end up losing access to our own authentic emotions, our own feelings, our own thoughts about a particular situation. And this can then lead to a complete lack of clarity about our own identity or our own ability to make our own unbiased decisions. And we lose that kind of internal intuition that kicks in to tell us whether something's right or not. And 
if we're going to continue to kind of drag this belief bag and those borrowed emotions, the challenge then is that we then make that decision that we're going to pass on those beliefs and those emotions to every single future generation. And that's the power of just bringing awareness to what are those borrowed beliefs that you're carrying? What are those borrowed emotions that you're carrying? Because the minute that we decide to hand those back with love, of course, we then don't get just to change our own financial situation, but we get to change it for every single future generation, you know, whether that's children, grandchildren, because you're making that decision to change what has become the backdrop of the inherited beliefs that you've been operating from. And I just think that's incredibly powerful. You're really speaking to my audience when you share that because, you know, I work with a lot of coaches, creatives, consultants, like women who are in helping professions who are often thinking about everyone else and supporting everyone else. And so, you know, knowing that in doing this work, it's not a selfish process to go through and navigate this and and uncover what these beliefs look like, but rather it's actually a process where the benefits go so far beyond just you, but rather to the beliefs of your family and your children. And, and also, you know, I've witnessed that they have impacted the people around me, you know, for, for me personally, me moving through my own money stuff has supported my parents to go and, and take a look at, at, at these beliefs they've carried for a really long time. And I know that for so much of what's there, it may continue to be there because they're in that later stage of their life, but there's a lot that they've gone back and questioned and seeing that happen with both, you know, siblings and also my parents is, is a really powerful thing. So knowing that this work has the power to operate throughout your entire community, I think is even more reason to do this work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with borrowed beliefs as well, like it, there's never a right or a wrong belief around money. Like even when I think about some of the things that I learned about money from my father or my mother, like there's no blame there. Like, oh, you should have taught me this about money or, you know, it, there's no blame there. But I always get really curious to, is this belief that I'm holding on to supporting me or is it sabotaging me? And you kind of want to keep hold of all the good ones and hand back all the ones that aren't supporting you. And sometimes it can be different for everybody. Like my relationship with money is very spontaneous. I'm I'm just a very impulsive, spontaneous person. And rather than trying to battle against that money block or against my beliefs, is I would always get curious to how can you lean into your money blocks rather than feeling like you have to get rid of the block because it's not really a block. It will be supporting you in some way. Mm. So for example, being spontaneous with money, you might think, oh, well, that can cause overspend cycles and FOMO and things like that. And yes, it can. But the benefits for me is that because I'm super spontaneous, I can take risks. I can invest in perhaps some higher risk investments where people feel uncomfortable about doing that. I can make quick decisions in my business. I can create content easily because I've got that creative mind, but it sabotages me at times when I feel bad about myself. And then I tip into the, oh, I'm just going to buy this extra dress. I'm just going to, you know, have this extra bar of chocolate, you know, whatever that over cycle looks like for you, that, that dopamine cycle 
that's when we can get into trouble. So it's kind of like leaning into the block and asking yourself, how is this serving me? And then flip the coin. Like imagine you've got a a coin in your hand, flip that coin. And then how is it supporting me? How is it sabotaging me? So you're leaning into it rather than trying to move against the block. And I just think that's really been supportive of people that we support in our communities of not stepping into that place of blame and shame, but actually stepping into a place of trust. What do you see are the most common money traumas that slow down or stop women entrepreneurs in their tracks? Yeah, great question. The biggest one has to be fawning. Mm -hmm. So fawning is a psychological term that we use around trauma, which essentially is the people pleaser. Like it's our belief that we have to look after everybody else's needs before our own. And we see this with entrepreneurs in their businesses where they are undercharging or they're overgiving with their time. And what that creates is actually a place of disempowerment. I talk about this from a place of experience. Like I was a massive fauna when I first started my business. I wasn't charging enough and I was massively overgiving on my time. And the reason that that was happening for me is that underneath that desire to give to others was a core belief for me that I needed to go and rescue everybody. I needed to be the problem solver. I needed to go and help people with their problems. And it wasn't until a few years after that, that my mentor said something to me that literally changed everything. And he said, you do realize that by overgiving and trying to fix somebody else's problems, that you're actually disempowering them because you can't fix them. They can only fix themselves. You can teach them so much about building wealth, but if they decide that they're not going to take action, that's their decision. And you can't, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And when he said that, I was like, whoa. So I'm actually disempowering my clients by trying to overgive to their needs to try and help them get the results that I wanted them to see and that they were they they were wanting to create. And that made a big difference to how I viewed the services that I provide to my clients, that I can only do so much with helping to give them the platform, you know, the the strategies, the methodologies, the support, but they have to make that change for themselves. And when they do, it comes from a place of empowerment, not disempowerment. But fawning for me is, is one of the hardest most deeply rooted traumas, I think, especially for women, because it's in our DNA. You know, we're the caregivers. The men are the hunter-gatherers. We're the caregivers. And that can cause disruption in relationships, perhaps, where maybe you are actually earning more than your partner, and they don't like that. They feel trauma. A trauma response comes up for the guys because they're like, well, so what's my role now? You know, if you're going to be the hunter-gatherer, what's my role in this relationship? And I think there's definitely a new paradigm shift that we're experiencing where women are definitely earning more than they ever have before. Like more women control wealth in the world than ever before. And that's such an amazing opportunity because when women do carry more wealth, we make really good decisions when it comes to wealth creation. 
You know, we like to invest ethically and sustainably. We like to support organizations. We like to invest in seed projects or venture capital projects or startup businesses. We like to invest in ethical in companies that weed out war, you know, and tobacco and pornography and arms manufacturing and all the things that, quite frankly, don't do that much good in the world. <laughs> so there's so much power to be had. But I definitely feel that for women, their biggest challenge is stepping out of that people pleaser and into a place of what do I need first? What is my need first? What boundaries do I need to have in my business and in my life for me to come from a full cup so that I can better show up in my relationships? I can better show up for my partner, my kids, my clients and ultimately for yourself. And Will Smith talks about this in his book. If you've never read Will Smith's book, it's a great autobiography. It's really great. And he talks about him and his wife had this conversation about like, how do you prioritize yourself? And his wife was like, my kids, then my husband, then me. And then I can't remember her last one. I think it was health or something like, or her, her family. And when he looked at Will Smith's list, it was like first priority, self, followed by partner, followed by kids. Because, and I completely agree with that, because in order to better support your family, your partners, your kids, your communities, you have to be supporting yourself first. Mm. So it's stepping out of that people pleaser mode, out of that fawning trauma response and into a place of what boundaries do I need to have? What desires do I need to fulfill first so that I can better show up to support everybody else in my life? Something that you spoke to there, just the partnership conversation, just to share some of my own experience around that, because I think it will be helpful to our listeners, is my husband you know, always earned well. And then as my business started to expand, he was incredibly proud, incredibly supportive And, you know, obviously got to a point where then my business was the main source of income within our family. And I think that, you know, it was really interesting witnessing him who I would say is a really strong feminist man, you know, which I'm incredibly proud of, witness him navigate that very primal thing of like, oh, I'm not as needed in this way right now. And it was really great for us to both navigate that process. And the main thing that I want to share here is that I think that as we're navigating these challenges or or any kind of money conversations with our partner, it can be so easy. And I'd so love your thoughts on this, Catherine. It can be so easy to make our partner wrong in the process as we're learning or to, you know, make them the bad guy, girl, you know, whatever, as we're moving through things, but knowing that you're usually both on that journey where you're uncovering those traumas and being really gentle with one another as you're both navigating those things, I think is so important. You know, I could have easily been like, well, you should just be supporting me. So what if I earn, you know, 10 times the amount? What does that matter? And he would have, because that was absolutely where his conscious mind wanted to be. But his subconscious, that DNA that you were speaking to, there is that really primal, I want to be the one looking after you and taking care of you. 
I just love your thoughts around that because going through that, it was really interesting to go. I know that we need to just both be mindful of supporting one another through this process because there's there's so many things that we're navigating here. And I think our generation is navigating so much around changes in wealth that we have never seen before. And it's obviously akin to and aligned to the way that we're caring for our children differently and and all these generational behaviors. So we'd just love to hear your thoughts on that a little bit as well. It's a great area to to dive into because as you said, really, like there is no right or wrong relationship with money. And it's very likely that your partner has the complete opposite relationship with money. Mm. And the reason I say that is there's actually a whole bunch of research that's been done in the US that we are naturally attracted to somebody with the opposite relationship to money. So knowing that, then we have to come from a place of awareness, awareness of each other's relationship with money. And it's a really great way to open up better communication around money is to better understand, well, what is your relationship with money? What are your core beliefs around money? What is the meaning that you give to money in your life? And have that open and honest conversation with each other, you know, with a glass of wine or, you know, a nice steak meal or, you know, something that's going to invite that environment to have a really nice, healthy conversation What often happens with conversations around money at home is they end up often being had when people are stressed, when there's not enough money in the account or when there's a conflict between, well, I want to book this 5K holiday, but my partner wants to build a conservatory on the house, you know, and we get this conflict come up and then we end up just arguing about it in in an environment that isn't particularly conducive for healthy conversations. In my book, actually, we have a whole chapter around something that we call the strong model. And the strong model is like a a methodology that we teach in our communities about how to harbor better conversations with money. And the strong stands for S is for share. You know, so really thinking about sharing those beliefs, those emotions, the, the stories that you grew up with around money so that you can come from a really good place of knowingness about how you're each operating around money. And then the T is about talking, thinking about when are you going to have those conversations about money? Not at a time when your husband's just come home from work or your kids are running around, you know, creating some chaos in the house, you know, or you're tired or you're hungry. You know, it's it's thinking about when are you going to be able to actually have those conversations? And then the R in strong is about responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I'm a massive advocate for even if you have a great relationship with money, you both need to have a think about who is going to take responsibility for what around money in the house. And women are generally very good at managing the household purse, but not very good when it comes to investing conversations, for example, or making some perhaps bigger decisions around wealth creation. And I think that particularly for women, the likelihood is we're going to live longer than men, We're going to have to potentially look after aged parents because that tends to fall on the daughters rather than the sons. And so therefore, we are going to have these periods of time where we are going to need to have some responsibility, if not for our own finances, but maybe even for our parents. So knowing who's going to take responsibility for what around the house is also really important. And then the O is like openness, like being really open to listen to each other's needs. Yeah, as as you were saying there, Ellie, being being open to, well, what do I need? How 
do I value money? What's important to me as an individual? And coming from a place of it's okay to have individual needs, it's okay to have individual goals. It doesn't have to be always together. You know, we're not two half of the same person coming together. We are two individual 100% human beings that need to have our own needs met. So knowing that and having that open conversation is important. And then the final two is like negotiating and then growing. So having options, you know, if there is conflict around money, well, where is the wiggle room? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to negotiate on this, but would you be happy to, to support me with this? so that you can both have your needs met. So you can both have your own little money pots where you can make your own decisions without having to ask each other's, you know, without having to ask permission. Is it okay if I go and buy this pair of boots? You know, we should be able to make our own decisions for ourselves. And just a little note on this, like I always believe that we should have access to our own money. And I'm qualified in as a financial abuse specialist, and I get to see the complete opposite reverse of this, where, you know, women are not allowed to have access to their own money. And that can be a real red flag sign of financial abuse and and manipulative control. And I do think it's really important that we, irrelevant of whether you're in a healthy relationship, that we always have access to our own money. And then, you know, of course, it's about growing, growing together, having those regular money dates with yourself, having regular money dates with your partner so that you can just touch base on, you know, how do we feel about that right now? What are we working towards as a family? What are we working towards as individuals? And if you work through that kind of framework, it allows you to be open, to have good communication, to think about when you're having conversations about money. Mm-hmm. And then just be able to create really good habits through regular money check-ins and regular money dates to then continue that goodness that you're harboring in your relationships. I love that so much. Thank you so much for, for speaking to that, because I think that that's going to be a question for our listeners when they're thinking about what it looks like for themselves, for anyone who is in a partnership going, well, what does this mean for my partnership and my household? So last question before I ask you to share a little bit more about your incredible book. Let's say that, you know, somebody is listening and they're like, maybe they're a six-figure business owner right now and they have, you know, assessed and become really aware and moved through money traumas that they've experienced in the past. And they're at a point where wealth creation is is something that's top of mind. So more really wanting to continue to grow and to build wealth and kind of assessing what that looks like from a mindset perspective really is, is what we're talking to here. Where do you start in terms of the belief that you can create wealth if you've never seen that in your lineage before? Yeah, it's a great question. I always think that every single woman on the planet has their own ability to become and be that wealthy woman. And I think sometimes what happens is we wait for that role model to appear. And I'm a big believer in that you can start that journey today and get curious to, well, what does that actually mean? What does it actually look like for you to step into that next level of wealth? Because wealth isn't just about the physical money that we have in our bank account. It's a feeling. And so wealth for you may be 
getting to a place where you've got really strong financial foundations, you've got your financial foundations pot tucked to one side so that if you can't work in your business that you've got a backup fund, you've got a tax pot so that you're, you know, you're already filling that with a contribution towards your sales each week, you know, putting that money aside from day one. You've maybe got an education pot for yourself. You've got a a self-care retreat pot for yourself. You know, you've got your desire pots that are starting to fill up. That could be what financial security looks like for you. And that next level of wealth creation might be, well, do you know what? Now I'm at, maybe I'm at six figures. Well, maybe it's about doing less. And actually, I want to create more wealth by launching less or, just focusing on one of my core signature programs or, you know, really just stepping back and thinking about where do you get the most joy from where your wealth currently comes from and really like going into that more than trying to create more products or more funnels or more launches, you know? So it's really thinking about where do I get the most amount of my energy? Where do I, what do I love doing the most and simplifying everything down to, well, what does that next step look like for me? Because there is no cookie cutter approach. Everybody's desire for wealth creation will be different. And it is that feeling that sits behind it. So for me, the feeling of being wealth and the feeling of being a wealthy woman isn't about having seven figures in the bank. I mean, sure, money gives you choices, right? But it's more of the feeling. So the feeling that I'm stepping into this year as the CEO of my business is expansion, trust and simplicity. So every decision I make about what am, what asset am I creating that's going to generate me either revenue today or revenue in the future is about how do I do that by stepping into more trust for myself? How do I do that by stepping into more expansion? And how do I do that by stepping into more simplicity? And the way that that shows up for me is that, well, I'm going to get rid of half my programs and I'm going to simplify everything. So for us, it's all roots to the Wealthy Woman School, all roots to the Wealthy Woman Experience, which is our mastermind. That is it for us for this year. Everything else is, is going. And that creates expansion. It creates an expansion of that container where we can best support women to come in and become that wealthy woman. And it also creates simplicity because from a business model perspective, I'm not constantly having to think about multiple funnels, multiple avenues, multiple choices for our, you know, for our clients. And I know when I become that wealthy woman, when I know that I'm creating assets that are going to provide me income now for today, so I can go and have my holidays with my family and do all the things I want to do, but also that I'm creating assets for the future. So to give you an example of what that might look like, We've been podcasting for two and a half years, and I've been putting a blog on our website for four years, every week, every single week without missing a single week, we've put a blog on that website. That website's just been valued at a million pounds. Now, I won't sell that website yet, but knowing that I've created that asset through content, digital creation, is something that we often forget about. We think that wealth is about money in the bank now, but if you're a content creator, if you're putting Facebook lives in your communities, you're doing Instagram stories, you know, you're maybe you're running a podcast or you run a challenge, you know, you're creating content in your, in your business. That's an asset, but it's an asset that you don't see the immediate return on. And sometimes it can feel a bit like, oh God, I've got to write another blog, you know, I've got to do that rather podcast. 
So it is thinking about wealth creation is about what are you creating for yourself today that's going to bring you that cash flow into your business? And what's bringing you assets that's going to pay you later? Mm. Yeah, that might be a property investing. It might be investing in the stock market. It might be going into Bitcoin. It might be growing your blog or your podcast or your programs. And just be really mindful of asking yourself that question, like what's going to be in alignment with what you enjoy the most, get rid of anything that doesn't create you joy. And then just think about how do you want to feel as you start to focus on the feeling? Because when you focus on the feeling, it creates motivation to create more of that feeling. Whereas most people set goals in their business based on trying to come away from something they're not happy with. They're driven by pain, get out of debt, you know, lose two stone. If I can just have more money in the bank, I can have more time on my health and then I can lose the weight I'm carrying, you know, and it's, it, it's a pain motivator. It's not motivated in something that's pleasurable. And then it's very short term lived. And then we feel like we failed. And then we fall into the whole mindset trap of fear of failure or fear of success. So that would be my kind of thoughts on when you're trying to create wealth for yourself, just think about the feeling, think about what's your next step and think about what can you work on that can bring you money into your business today and then money for the future. So good. Get really clear on what feeling like a wealthy woman means to you and looks like to you. I love that so, so much. Catherine, this has been so incredible. You're such a wealth of knowledge and I've learned so many things in the research that you've shared and just the way that you've shared really epic examples. So for anybody who wants to dive deeper and for all of you listening, I just, you know, you've heard me talk about wealth and money so many times. I think this work is incredibly important for us as as entrepreneurs. So how can people get their hands on your book? Tell us a little bit more about what it's about I'm just going to hand over to you to talk to it all. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we actually, we want to get my book into the hands of as many women as possible because our mission is to equip and prepare 1 million women to become financially resilient. So you can actually go and grab a free copy of the book. If you head over to the website, it's notaboutthemoney.co.uk. You can grab a free copy of the book. And the book is very much written in three stages. So We help women to, first of all, look at their relationship with money through the first step of uh, deserving wealth. And then we move into creating wealth, which is more about your ability to hold on to that wealth. And then it's about moving into growing wealth. So we we have create, deserve and grow. Um, And it's very much written about that looking at money through a trauma-informed lens where we dive deep into money mindset work with some lots of journaling questions for you in there, but then also focusing on some of the practical steps. So it combines that emotional response and practical response to creating wealth for women. So good. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well for everyone listening so that you can jump on over and download your free copy. Catherine, thank you so, so much. This has been incredible. I've loved every second of chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 